The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 333, broadcasting live on RageWorks for February 10th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. Right before we went on air, uh, the switchboard logged me out, so I'm going to take a quick second and dial back in before we get the party started. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Please enter your host pin. When finished, press the pound key. Sorry about that, guys. To start your show now. Since it appears you're calling back into a live show, we are reconnecting you now. Well, at least it cut off before we really, really started the show. As I said, My Take Radio episode 333, powered by RageWorks. To enjoy tonight's show, you got a couple of options. Head over to mtrlive.com for a video and audio feed. Currently streaming on a couple of places. Wow. Uh, YouTube, Twitch, StreamUp, Restream, Vaughn Live, and a couple of other places. Um, of course, to enjoy the best video feed, head over to mtrlive.com. We got a chat room set up. And all the fun stuff. So you'll be able to interact, uh, share your thoughts during the live broadcast, and of course, participate in tonight's show. You can also call in, as I said, 347-324-3541 to participate that way as well. You can also use that option, not hit the number one to enter the queue, and you can listen to the show that way. That's another way that you can enjoy it. Of course, we're still kind of ironing out all the video stuff in the new studio but I am happy to report that at least we are moving along somewhat. Now, the thing that gets me with that is that, you know, we are going to try our best to, you know, really work on, and this is the, this is the crazy part. The, the thing that gets me is that we are trying to iron out so many things at once. And one week it's the video, one week it's the audio, 
Uh, we're trying to do lower thirds, which I'm still learning how to do, and a bunch of other stuff. But we're moving along. Uh, last week, we had some good video, and our audio was a little sketchy. This week, we're working on the video using some new software, which so far, it's pretty good. has a bit of a learning curve, but we're definitely going to try our best to work through it. Um, <laughs> very good. Mortis in the chat says this episode is only half evil. Yes, yes, it is. A um, couple of housekeeping things I want to get out of the way first and foremost before we get into tonight's topics. Uh, this week is a full slate of shows, no events, nothing crazy to interrupt the flow of live shows during the week, but we will be at Toy Fair this weekend, so definitely keep it locked to our social media channels, uh, official My Take Radio TV, well, let me rephrase that, official Rageworks on YouTube and My Take Radio TV, um, also on Twitter, Rage underscore works, Facebook, Snapchat, the usual outlets. We're going to be doing a full court press um, to make it happen at Toy Fair this weekend. Coverage will begin Saturday morning. We'll go throughout the day Saturday and, of course, into Sunday. We're going to try and do video, Periscope, lots of photos, all the fun stuff. Um, we're definitely working on trying to give you guys the best experience possible. I know that there are a lot of people that can't attend Toy Fair for one reason or the other. Um, and we want to show you guys the best toys, the best action figures, the coolest collectibles possible. So we're definitely going to be trying to stream and keep as much content coming throughout those two days. Uh, definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, in addition, we are going to be testing out some other footage and some other software and hardware while we are at the event. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, as you can see behind me, uh, the wall is green. That is because uh, green screen is still something that we anticipate doing on more live shows. Uh, so definitely be on the lookout for that once I get the hang of making that look the way it needs to look. Nonetheless, I'm hearing good things about the YouTube feed, um, hearing that it's running clean. Uh, any any issues with the audio, guys, please let me know. Like I said, we're still working through some of the bugs. But aside from our Toy Fair coverage, uh, we still are working on the conversion of the My Take Radio um, podcast feed into the Rageworks network. Uh, we're definitely going to be working on that within the coming weeks. As I said last week, the goal is to have it finalized by March, and we're definitely looking at that goal. There is also the possibility of version 5.0 of Rageworks, obviously started with 1.0 with MyTakeRadio.com and uh, going to Rageworks. We're going to be making some changes that way as well, uh, so definitely keep it locked for that. Now, the other thing I did want to discuss, and this is something for me personally that um, you know we're going to get into during the gaming and entertainment show tomorrow. But a very interesting conversation occurred today uh, regarding journalism, integrity, growing the business, et cetera, et cetera. And since it's more of a gaming topic, we're going to definitely go into that deeper tomorrow. But for those of you that know me in the real world off air, you guys probably have ventured onto my Facebook and seen uh, my very, very long winded rant about that. I definitely do not want to bring that into the MMA and wrestling show, but I definitely want to give you guys uh, a teaser for tomorrow since that's something that we're going to definitely be getting into. As for tonight's topics, 
We're going to be talking about this weekend, this past weekend's UFC event. We're going to get into the week's MMA news, including some new legal issues for John Jones. Uh, not as bad as you think, though. We're going to get into that. We're also going to address some of the upcoming fight cards and some of the other MMA news of the week. And of course, on the wrestling side, we are going to do a deep dive into Daniel Bryan's retirement, uh, what this means for uh, himself, uh, well, for him, I should say, and for WWE as a whole. Plus, uh, we're going to talk about Titus O'Neil's suspension, which um, caught many of us by surprise, but if you watched Monday Night Raw, you can see what was the catalyst for that. I'm going to give you guys my take on it, both from a pro and a con standpoint, and meaning from the pro standpoint, it, it was something that was inevitable and had to be done to a point, and from a con standpoint, because it kind of sends the wrong message to a degree. There's definitely two sides to the argument, um, and we're going to get into that. As always, if you want to interact, participate, and share your thoughts, head over to mtrlive.com. We got the chat room in session. Uh, call in 347-324-3541. And if you want to recommend us to anybody to check out the feed, uh, look for us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio and at Rage underscore Works. I'm sure that there have been automatic updates for tonight's show, so please make sure to retweet and share it. We always appreciate uh, new listeners coming in and giving their two cents. But with that, let's uh, get this ball rolling and jump into some MMA, shall we? All right, so first thing I want to discuss is this past weekend's Ultimate Fighter. Uh, kind of, it was supposed to be a UFC 196, and due to the Cain Velasquez injury, uh, it turns out that, um, ooh, that's not going to be working. Hold on a second. Let's try that again. There we go. Ooh, that blocks out my face. You know what? Let's not put that up. Anyway, <laughs> um, this past weekend's UFC event, still working the bugs out, guys, um, was, as I said, it was supposed to be a pay-per-view. It was supposed to be headlined by Verdum and um, Cain Velasquez. Cain Velasquez had suffered a back injury. He had to take a powder. Uh, Stipe Miocic was going to step in, challenge for the belt. Verdum said, pause on that. I got some injuries I got to deal with. And... Um, he ended up bowing out as well, and because of that, the UFC felt that there was no necessity to try and get people to pay for this card, so they ended up switching it to free TV, making it UFC Fight Night 82, and the co-main event, which was supposed to be um, Johnny Hendricks taking on Wonderboy, Stephen Thompson, which was the co-main for the UFC pay-per-view, was now the main event for the televised card. Now, Overall, the event was pretty solid. A um, lot of good stuff going on there. Uh, I do want to talk about a couple of fights. I'm sure you guys already know most of the results, but I do want to talk about some of them only because, uh, A, so they were incredibly enjoyable. B, the ramifications from the results are setting up a lot of interesting fights. And, of course, the other thing, first and foremost, is that there are certain fights I want to get on everyone's radar. So, with that said, I do want to talk about one fight which went under the radar, but the ramifications were something that 
many people were talking about, and that was the fight between Mickey Gall and Mike Jackson. Uh, Mickey Gall was discovered on Dana White's YouTube series, which they also give on UFC Fight Pass, and he impressed Dana White so much that the the end result of his victory was to get him a fight with CM Punk. Now, of course, CM Punk has never fought in the UFC, coming in with a zero record. Uh, Mickey Gall, before he won his non-UFC fight, he also was uh, 0-0, but he ended up coming in, and the carrot, so to speak, was, the dangling carrot was, Mickey Gall beats Mike Jackson decisively, he will get a fight with CM Punk. And... Mickey Gall definitely delivered with regards to that, uh, taking out Mike Jackson via submission, rear naked choke, uh, 45 seconds into round one. And as a result of that, uh, Mickey Gall, theoretically, on paper, uh, is scheduled to face CM Punk. CM Punk came into the cage. Uh, They had a nice little face-off, got people talking. People were hype. It was cool. And... um, the thing about it was that it actually gave people hope that CM Punk was actually going to fight. Now, if you've been following the news for the last couple of hours, you know that there's going to be a big problem with that, which I'll get into later on in the segment. But nonetheless, Mickey Gall did defeat Mike Jackson in incredibly decisive fashion and got himself a fight with CM Punk. That's for damn sure. Now, the thing that gets me is that, you know... They did They did something interesting in terms of getting CM Punk an opponent. Uh, they brought in a guy who was 0-0, now 1-0. Um, you know, 1-0 coming in. And now, I believe, is is just, you know, going in. Depending on how they factor it, he's 1-0 in the UFC, 2-0 in his overall MMA career. The way I see it, um, it's a solid fight for CM Punk. You know, it's a guy who just came into the sport, younger guy, tons of potential. And it was... A tremendous upside. There was an upside for both Mickey Gall and for CM Punk in the case that if Mickey Gall came in and defeated CM Punk, you know, it's a it's a, he defeated a guy that had an incredible amount of fanfare, even though he was a novice much like him. In the sense of CM Punk, it makes it seem like CM Punk is not fighting a can, which is something that many people were concerned with. But as I said, I'll elaborate on that further. Later on in the segment, the other fight I wanted to talk about was Noad Lahat taking on Diego Rivas, which gave us what was without a doubt one of the highlight reels of the evening with a spectacular knockout via flying knee in the second round from Diego Rivas. It was something that was captured and shared on social media like that in the blink of an eye. It was it was stellar. Do yourselves a favor. Look it up. Slick, if you could. Can you find me? uh, Nahat. Uh, Lahat, L-A-H-A-T versus Revis from UFC Fight Night and throw that in the chat so people could see the flying knee. Uh, Definitely a nasty, nasty finish, but definitely a spectacular, spectacular finish for those of us that were watching at home. I also wanted to talk about Josh Berkman and KJ Noon squaring off. Josh Berkman uh, had an incredibly difficult cut to get down to 155 pounds to take on KJ Noon's. Uh, he had to cut about 20 pounds going into the fight to take on KJ Noons, who is a guy with tremendous stand-up. Uh, Josh Berkman is a longtime mainstay, came out of the Ultimate Fighter, has 
had a pretty solid career amassing a 27 and 12 record coming into this fight. And um, he, him and KJ Nunes actually gave us a really, really solid fight from bell to bell. Uh, Josh Berkman secured the victory via unanimous decision, but I really liked what I saw. I think that the cut for Berkman was incredibly difficult and I was concerned that the cut of 20 pounds so quickly was going to hurt his performance. And while it did to a point, it didn't hurt his performance enough to have him lose the fight. But to the people that I've spoke to about it, they've all said that it was definitely something that was could have gone either way. Both guys had really, really good showings throughout the fight, but Berkman definitely had a lot more. He had a lot more offense. He definitely pushed the pace a little more. Nunes, of course, with his solid striking, did a pretty decent job. But Berkman, the veteran, just he, he looked better going in. And as always, you don't leave it in the judges' hands, folks. Now, the other fight I did want to talk about in this fight, of course, um, Joseph Benavidez, Zach Makovsky. A lot going into this fight. Benavidez ranked number one at flyweight. Uh, Makovsky ranked number eight. Uh, overall, Benavidez looked really good in that fight. Makovsky, who is a veteran, um, he just couldn't get out of the bricks. Um, Benavidez looked good from bell to bell, got himself the win via unanimous decision. I actually enjoyed that fight quite a bit. Um, one of those fights that I expected it to be uh, a little bit more decisive but and, and have a finish, but I still got enjoyment out of the fight because it was definitely solid from bell to bell. Now, Roy Nelson, Jared Rochalt, I expected that to end quickly and violently unfortunately it was a very very methodical plotting fight uh Roy Nelson took the victory via unanimous decision now main event Johnny Hendricks of course ranked number two at welterweight took on number eight Stephen Wonderboy Thompson um a lot of people expected Big Rig to come in use his power and leverage his wrestling to neutralize the karate background of Steven Thompson, but that was not the case. Thompson came in, he exchanged quite quickly with um, uh, Johnny Hendricks, and what ended up happening was he dismantled him. And when I mean dismantled him, it was fairly, fairly quickly with a knockout victory via strikes in the first round. It was a barrage of punches and kicks that took out Big Rig. And the thing was, um, you know, I picked Thompson to win the fight going in just because I felt that Wonder Boy had that. You know, he had the speed advantage and his striking was definitely more precise. And don't don't misunderstand. I think that if Johnny Hendricks would have connected with a big shot, he had all the potential in the world to put Wonder Boy to sleep. But as it turns out, you know, Thompson uh, was the better fighter that night and he demonstrated an incredible amount of technique going into the fight, some great striking, and he really did um, a wonderful job upsetting the current rankings at welterweight. Obviously, there's Tyron Woodley, Carlos Condit. There's a lot of guys that want to get an opportunity at Robbie Lawler, and Wonder Boy has gone on record already saying that he feels he should be the guy to get that opportunity next since he dispatched a former champion and former number one contender. Uh, some people agree with that statement. Others disagree. Me personally, I think that maybe you want to get him in there, maybe against Tyron Woodley, and then the winner of that fight goes on to face Robbie Lawler. There, 
there's a strong case to be made with regards to MMA rankings, especially when it comes to the UFC, because obviously sometimes statistically you may make the most sense to challenge, but at the end of the day, the promotion can ignore rankings altogether and, um, you know, put whoever they want in there that is going to sell a fight. For me, I think Wonderboy and Robbie Lawler is an interesting fight only because you have precision level striking from, you know, Wonderboy taking on devastating, monstrous power and just an iron chin and a will that won't quit in Robbie Lawler. I think st- um, from a stylistic standpoint, there is a potential to generate just a an amazing fight another war um, and just something that is capable of giving us a highlight reel. But as I said, there are guys at 170 that really make a strong case and do not want this guy who was just ranked number eight to, you know, leapfrog over them to a title opportunity. I think any way you slice it, we have the potential to see great fights at 170. Robbie Lawler is an amazing champion. After the war he had recently, you just you look forward to seeing him fight, whether he goes in there and fights a guy like Ty- Tyron Woodley, who has great wrestling and has demonstrated some solid striking, or he takes on Carlos Condit, or takes on Nick Diaz. There's always Nick Diaz waiting in the wings, and of course, Stephen Thompson. There's, there's so many compelling fights at 170 that any way you slice it, you're going to get something amazing. Um, to... Before I go into the MMA news of the week, I know that Val had mentioned in the chat uh, something about the um, Verdum and Cain Velasquez. He said, so Verdum was willing to fight Cain with an injury, but not the other dude who was like ranked fifth or something. What the fuck up? What what the fuck is up with that? And um, before we get into the news, I will answer Val's question. Here's here's the problem. Verdum knew going in that the fight with Cain was the fight that made the most sense. But the problem is, like anything else, when you throw in another guy that has the potential to defeat you, because Stipe Miocic is a very, very underrated heavyweight, and you know, you're taking the fight on, on weeks' notice, there is a chance that you're gonna lose the belt. And what ends up happening in that situation is Verdum is gonna say, Hey, listen, you know, my doctor said I got these injuries, I'm gonna just take this opportunity and not and not take the fight. And what's being said is that Verdum may come back and face Stipe Miocic regardless, only because Cain Velasquez has, you know, kind of thrown a monkey wrench in, in this fight in these fights before. And um not sure if that's the the best course of action, but I think that what you're gonna want to do in this situation is if Verdum was injured and Cain were injured, then there shouldn't have been a necessity to put a guy like Stipe in that predicament because what happens is Stipe comes in, Verdum says he's not going to fight him, he's going to heal up, and it ends up obviously ma- making Stipe look like you know he doesn't deserve to be fighting for the title. And on top of that, it makes it look like Verdum is ducking him. And you know, that's something that's subjective. Anybody can look at that and they can be like, ah, he's ducking him, he's not ducking him. The way I see it is that it shouldn't have got to that point. If Kane was injured, Verdum should have been like, listen, I got some little injuries too. Um, I'd rather take the time off. Do not let the UFC make the announcement, start building up the hype machine, and then go, yeah, I'm not going to fight this guy. I'm going to take a break. It, it doesn't look good when that happens. Like I said, it really did make it seem 
like Verdum was ducking Stipe. I'm serious. That's that's really what it made it look like. But to to others, they they may disagree. They may see it as just oh, you know, it's it's the it's par for the course. And I don't believe that. Like I said, this could have been uh, remedied a lot easier if they just would have opted to um, let Kane take the break, and that would have been it. You know. And um, Val says, so he can say nah and tank a pay-per-view and Dana not go publicly ape shit. Well, here's the thing. Dana actually resolved the situation because he ended up making the card free, which was, you know, it definitely was a plus side to making the card free, obviously, because as much as I enjoyed Wonder Boy dismantling uh, Johnny Hendricks, I really felt that that's not a that's not a $60 fight in the least. But. In, in to to answer your question, I'm sure Dana White was upset, but I have a feeling that what's going to end up happening is Kane is going to say, oh, I'm ready to fight. And Dana White's going to be like, yeah, well, you know, this guy's going to fight because statistically he makes sense and he was ready to fight when you were injured. And it, it, it again, it's one of those things where it depends on what side of the bed Dana White wakes up on and if they're going to go that route. While I do feel Stipe makes a, a compelling case to challenge for the title, we, you know, we do want to see Kane try to avenge that loss against Verdum. There is always that possibility that we will get that, but given that, like you just said, you know, he tanked the pay-per-view, uh, he may he may not get that opportunity right away. All right, let's uh, switch gears a little bit and go into the wrestling side, uh, the wrestling side of things, the uh, the MMA news of the week. Uh, a couple of bonuses were handed out. Obviously, Diego Rivas took a $50,000 bonus for his stellar knockout. Uh, Steven Thompson also took a performance bonus. And the fight of the night was Mike Pyle taking on Sean Spencer. Each of those individuals earned $50,000. Uh, the UFC announced that they have finalized UFC Fight Night 83, which is going to be headlined by Donald Cerrone taking on Alex Oliveira. That's going down February 21st, and it's going to be in Pittsburgh, and the main card is going to air on Fox Sports 1, and of course, the prelims will be on UFC Fight Pass. Derek Brunson, Rowan Carnero is your co-main. Uh, also on that card, CR the Killer is fighting. Dennis Bermudez is taking on Kawajiri. Uh, the prelims on Fox Sports 1. Chris Camozzi is fighting Joe Riggs. Uh, a couple of solid fights. Overall, um, also Ashley Evans Smith is taking on Marion Renault. So definitely mark it down on your calendars. I think it is going to be a solid night of fights. I think uh, Cerrone's going in there to really try and make a statement at 170. Uh, I, I mean, the guy was super successful at 155, trying his his game face at 170, get himself into some title contention. Uh, we'll see what happens again. UFC Fight Night. February 21st in Pittsburgh. It's going to be Fight Night 83. Fox Sports 1 gets the main card. Prelims are on UFC Fight Pass. All right. So, as I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, Mickey Gall got himself a fight with CM Punk. Everybody was excited. CM Punk finally had an opponent. All eyes were focused on UFC 199 or 200 to see CM Punk's Octagon debut against uh, rookie sensation uh, Mickey Gall. Unfortunately, we're going to need to wait a little longer as uh, CM Punk, it was announced that he had to undergo back surgery 
putting him on the shelf from four to six months. Now, there's a couple of things um, going on with that, which obviously a lot of people were annoyed about. If, you know, how how soon was, did they know that he had to go under the knife? Um, you know, it, it's interesting that the fight was set up and now all of a sudden he's injured. Uh, you know, what changed from Sunday night to, you know, uh, excuse me, what changed from Saturday night to Wednesday? Who knows? But it turns out that it, you know, it, it derailed any any momentum that CM Punk had coming into this fight. I mean, him fighting at UFC 200 would have been huge, uh, especially if he would have been the opener for the pay-per-view because people would have tuned in and purchased the pay-per-view or found a way to see it strictly off curiosity alone. But unfortunately, the way I see it now, you are pretty much behind the eight ball if you're CM Punk. Obviously, he is, you know, time is his enemy going into this. He's not getting any younger and what's happening is the the more you're delaying it, the more you're delaying it, the less people give a fuck about you fighting. I mean, CM Punk definitely did an it, you know, he definitely looks like he's ready to get in there. He um he's talking the talk, he's saying the right things. I mean, he is walking off of interviews and getting pissed off about people still questioning him and questioning his heart getting into this. And um, you know, here's here's where I stand. CM Punk decided to transition from pro wrestling to mixed martial arts. Uh, the difference is, you know, you got to, to, to the layman, you're switch, you're exchanging fake fighting for real fighting. And, um, you know, I, if I'm CM Punk, I'm going to get tired of being questioned about it in that regard. I think that that is going to be a question that's going to get annoying. It's going to get real tiresome real quick. Um, you know, how many times can the guy say, you do know that you get hit for real in this sport. And, um, I, I definitely understand his frustration, but I also understand the fact that people are really, really leaning towards him not fighting. And this just being a publicity stunt, because every time you think that he's ready, something comes up, something happens, excuse me. And before you know it, no fight or delayed or whatever. There's there's not a lot that's working in Punk's favor, and people are excited and people really want to see him fight. Whether it's to see him get his face beat in or to see him actually uh, do well in the octagon. Me personally, as as a wrestling fan and a guy who's been following CM Punk's career for quite some time, from Ring of Honor to TNA to WWE to the Independents, you know, I know that. He's, you know, he's not half-assing it in training. You know, the videos that Duke Rufus has put out have have looked pretty solid. I mean, you know, you're only going to look but so good in a training environment. But the guy, he seems comfortable out there. And in terms of him being older, yes, you know, there's gonna, there's a there's a lengthier recovery time. There's lots of opportunities for shit to go wrong. And I totally, totally, totally understand that. But I am also looking at it from the standpoint of, we can't dismiss a guy who we have not seen fight. Like, we've seen Mickey Gall fight. We've seen him fight on the YouTube show. We've seen him fight in the cage. The kid the kid definitely shows potential and is capable of getting a victory very, very quickly. Who's to say that CM Punk goes in there and loses just as quick? You know, many people say, say that it's possible. The way I see it is I'm taking a wait-and-see approach. 
As far as I know, CM Punk's estimated recovery time from this surgery is four to six months. And four to six months, you know, again, time is not on your side. Four to six months of recovery time, we're looking at, I mean, we're in February now, uh, maybe August, September, the latest. And you know what's funny? We Many people said that CM Punk wasn't going to end up fighting until at minimum the end of 2016. And I even think that he said that in one interview, if I'm correct. And sure enough, I mean, right now, six months from now is August, you know, August. And let's say that with the buildup and everything, we're shooting for maybe September or October, or maybe they want to do it for the year end card. Again, he's fighting at the end of 2016, which is kind of what he was saying in the first place. You know, I can I can sit here and and address the pros, the cons, why why he should fight, why he shouldn't fight, does he suck, does he not suck? And it would be a disservice to you guys, the listeners, and me only because we we we're we're, we're speculating on a guy who has yet to set foot in the cage. And and it's just it's just not fair. It's not fair to him and it's just in poor form. We can only assume but so many things. Who's to say that he doesn't come in there and do like uh, Brad Pitt in Snatch and fucking knock him out with one punch? Could happen. You know, it, 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 we, there's so many variables at play. But the fact is that until I see CM Punk step on a scale making weight for a fight, it's not going to matter. None of it matters. All the hype, the opponents, none of it matters until the guy steps on the scale and the fight is official. Because honestly, the fight isn't even official when it gets announced because look what happened. Mickey Gall was announced as his opponent and the guy has to go in for back surgery. Doesn't mean shit. Doesn't, you know? And uh, it was funny because Mortis was saying that Mickey Gall should fight Jason David Frank and then the winner fights CM Punk. Here's Here's the funny thing about that. I, I'm I'm not against that. I'm not against that at all. I mean, Jason David Frank has said on, on one of our very own podcasts that he wanted to fight CM Punk and they and that it was something that Punk was interested in doing. You guys can look for that um on Rageworks.net, just punch in JDF and you should get the uh the episode, uh the interview that I had with him. The fact is, you know, you know, it, it's one of those things where there's there's compelling arguments. You can have CM Punk fight a guy like Jason David Frank, and it may be considered a freak show fight, but at this stage of the game, what the fuck does it matter? I'm being I'm being honest. Whether Punk fights Mickey Gall, Jason David Frank, Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm, Dana White, it doesn't it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, the only thing that anyone's gonna care about is CM Punk in the cage. These these are the facts. And, you know, those of us that are hardcore fans of the sport, we're going to be like, yo, as long as he doesn't fight a can, I'm good with it. With me coming in as a wrestling fan, I look at it like we got to we got to just take a wait and see approach. That's really it. Any way you slice it, we're going to sit here and we're going to wait. And there's way too many other fights in the UFC, in Bellator and countless other promotions that are equally compelling, if not more compelling, because at least we know where where the direction of the fights are going. Simple as that. You know? And um, you know, the guys are talking about Jason David Frank in the chat room. Um 
<laughs> Mortis says, dude still looks good though. The only thing is the guys that JDF fights fought were all cans. And that's, that's what I mean. There's, there's so many different, um, ways that you can look at it. And sometimes it's going to be that, you know, the guy fought cans, uh, you know, it's a freak show fight. It doesn't need to happen. Don't bring that into the, the UFC. There's, there's a ton of, there's a ton of different ways that it can go, but long story short, CM Punk going in for back surgery, four to six months, estimated recovery. Mickey Gall, his opponent will probably get another opponent uh, for the time being, and the punk watch, so to speak, will continue. Another fight card that was finalized, well, that started to take shape, was UFC on Fox 19. That's happening April 16th. Uh, Tony Ferguson will be meeting Khabib Nurmagomedov, who's coming off of injury. Uh, Rashad Evans will be taking on Shogun. And um, Dan Henderson is taking on Lyoto Machida. And a very, very exciting fight on the ladies' side, Tessia Torres will be taking on uh, Rose Nama Yunus. Uh, again, very, very solid fight. Fight card from bell to bell. Uh, UFC on Fox 19 going down in April. Really excited to see Rashad and Shogun go at it. And also Henderson and Lyoto Machida, which I talked about last week. And um, I think the Rose Nama Yunus, Tessia Torres fight is definitely going to be uh, a title qualifier and both of those ladies definitely can get the job done in the cage. So that's a fight that I definitely cannot miss. Again, UFC on Fox 19 going down in April. During the UFC Tonight broadcast, it was... Uh, let me rephrase that. During the UFC on UFC Fight Night broadcast, it was announced that Daniel Cormier and John Jones will be meeting finally... April 23rd at UFC 197. The co-main event, uh, Demetrius Johnson taking on uh, Henry Cajudo. Uh, both both fights are tremendous. Of course, John Jones on the road to sobriety, on the road to trying to get the belt back. Um, faced a little, a little issue recently um, cited for speeding. Uh, some people were saying that he was driving without a license, driving, it out, driving without insurance. Uh, turns out that both of those... Um, rumors were dispelled uh turns out he was just um pulled over for speeding and um it's not going to derail his fight with daniel cormier uh very interesting you know everybody's talking about john jones sobriety and john jones doing all the right things um and it was funny because daniel cormier said in an interview he's like you know it's really nice that everyone is talking about john jones doing, you know, doing all the right things when in actual, you know, when, when actually it's just John Jones doing what he's supposed to be doing, which is conducting himself like a professional. I, you know, it it amused me to hear Daniel Cormier say that obviously because John Jones is coming into this fight, uh, even though he is favored as a fighter that's going to come in there and get his title back with much ease. The fact of the matter is that there are many factors at play with regards to John Jones um, even making it to that fight. For for me, I think that, you know, Jones' sobriety is something that, that you know, fans, fans are excited to see. I mean, nobody wants to see a guy coked out and on the verge of going to jail. I think that, you know, that's something that, you know, a real fan of the sport would not want to see. We'd want nothing but the best for the athletes, um, you know, both um, active and retired 
And at the end of the day, John Jones did a lot of foul shit. And he's allegedly on the road to redemption. And if that road leads to a title opportunity and winning the title, then, you know, it's a, it's a Cinderella story. It's, you know, overcoming the odds, overcoming adversity and, you know, getting your belt back. It's, it's a, it's a great story. Albeit one that had a lot of bullets dodged. I mean, the guy, you know, almost killed a woman, crashed his car, ran from the scene, uh, drug run-ins, you know, drug problems, all this stuff. And the guys never set foot in a jail cell. And obviously, you know, money is an amazing superpower. And it's one of the things that have kept that from happening. But it's one of the things that when you look at as, as, you know, someone who's not famous, you say to yourself, fuck, if that were me, I would have got thrown in that cell head first. And that's the kind of stuff you got to look at. But for me as a fan of both fighters, I think that, you know, Jones overcoming all these obstacles is going to make, it should make him in theory, a better human being, but it remains to be seen. I mean, the guy, the guy's training his ass off, uh, definitely growing his physique to make a run at heavyweight. But aside from that, you know, the, the, the personal stuff is still out there. You know, the, he's been, He put out a little video, I believe it was on Instagram recently, talking about, you know, he's been uh, sober and, you know, clean for, I believe he said it was six months or eight months. And, you know, that's good. The road to recovery is is difficult uh, for a lot of people. And obviously, in his case, he has a very good outlet to help him maintain his sobriety. And I think that a big factor is obviously, you know, the company you keep. But I also think that it's, you know, partially on the UFC to ensure that, you know, John Jones doesn't come in coked up into a fight, which I think was a big problem initially, you know, the UFC. And I, and I went into this deep discussion with Ben on previous episodes, which I'm sure some of you guys have heard where I said, I'm like, you know, the UFC didn't think it was a problem till John Jones made it a problem. And now, you know, the, the eyes are on the, the eyes are on the sport. And you can't, you can't just turn a blind eye to shit like that. It's, it's impossible. It's impossible. And on top of that, it just reflects poorly on your management. All right. I did want to talk about, uh, Yoel Romero testing positive for a banned substance. Uh, for many of you that, uh, aren't familiar with Yoel Romero, he competed recently at UFC 194, against Jacare and um he won he defeated Jacare and then the uh USA DA did a test and found that he tested positive for an undisclosed substance which is on their banned list um Romero's manager Malkikawa said that the test was a result of a contaminated supplement and he said that it had been tested by Romero's team and the USA DA now, it's interesting because obviously the manager is going public with the reasoning behind the positive drug test and, you know, the the organization had kind of tried to keep that in-house until they determined what it was and if he was going to be punished. Obviously, you know, we're going to see what the supplement was and what the fallout is going to be, but this is another one of those situations where did he or didn't he genuinely know what he was putting in his body going in. And obviously as, as a fighter and someone who has coaches and management, et cetera, et cetera, you should have people overseeing 
which supplements and items you put into your body on the on the on the road to a fight and i'm a little i'm a little i don't want to say unimpressed with the with the reasoning i just feel that it it seems so so easy to to cite something like that when again the commission is going to pose a question where you know there's doctors there's managers there's training partners there's coaches who was who was turning a blind eye and not trying to make sure that this fighter's blood and urine were clean going into this fight. I mean, for me personally, the way I see it, you are looking at a guy who was really pretty much one or two fights away from a title shot who may actually end up being put on the shelf and as a result won't get anywhere near a title for the foreseeable future. We're going to see how it pans out. I believe that a punishment will be levied or at minimum there will be some sort of a decision made by the end of the week. Um, if I hear anything, obviously we will address it during next week's broadcast, but right now, uh, his, his future is definitely uncertain. Last bit of MMA news to wrap things up involves Bellator, uh, Michael Venom page, who was scheduled to co-main Bellator 151, unfortunately had to withdraw from the co-main event due to undisclosed reasons. Uh, former RFA welterweight champion Gilbert Smith who was on The Ultimate Fighter and is a friend of the show, will be stepping in and will be facing Gonzalez in his first Bellator fight. Uh, Definitely good luck to our friend Gilbert Smith, and um, we'll be watching very closely. We'll see if we can get Gilbert on the show leading up to that fight or shortly after. Uh, Bellator 151 goes down March 4th in Oklahoma. Of course, the main card will air on Spike TV. All right, that is going to wrap up this week's MMA segment. Let's switch gears and jump into wrestling because, man, there is a lot of shit to discuss. So let's get to it. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. All right, so I want to I want to get the ball rolling with Monday Night Raw. Obviously, Raw was an incredibly emotional evening for wrestling fans, the WWE roster, and you know, there's and obviously veterans and and indie wrestlers alike due to the news that Daniel Bryan was going to announce his retirement on air. We're definitely going to get into that uh later on in the segment. I do want to talk about the uh the the broadcast itself which it was it was very difficult to really enjoy raw because we knew that the end game was coming in regards to Daniel Bryan announcing his retirement and for me personally I felt that it was it was something that no matter what went down no matter what was what was the name of the game we knew that the end result was going to be Daniel Bryan's retirement and because of that all the focus was was lasered in on that particular aspect of the program now there were some good moments I think that this past Monday's Raw was a great example of you know Dean Ambrose starting to step out and really establish himself as more than just 
Roman Reigns' buddy, uh, him displaying no fear uh, with regards to Brock Lesnar during the contract signing. And, you know, it really did a, a good job in creating that never-say-die lunatic underdog that has no fear and and connected with the fans. I think this was a great opportunity for Dean Ambrose, and I think they did a good job with it. The only thing is, and this is this is my this is where I stand with it, is that Ambrose, in order for him to become a viable guy, his matches need to be a little better. And the reason I say this is because his matches, even though they are really good brawls, he's not showing us much of anything, and the only time we see something special is when he's in matches with guys like Kevin Owens who really are capable of emphasizing his style as a strength and not as a weakness. And I think part of that is also because of the whole WWE style that, you know, he you have to be you have to adapt to. And I think that's part of the reason why Ambrose is not viewed as a very very good wrestler. Um, you know, Val Val just said he's he's sloppy as fuck and you know it, it's crazy because that's the thing. There's there's a fine line between you know being sloppy as being as it being part of your character and being sloppy just because you you're not you're not working as hard as you should be to look good out there. And this isn't to say that Dean Ambrose has a shitty work ethic or he's not going out there to put on a good match. I just feel that he's not he's not working the WWE style as effective as he can. Because he's he's still kind of stuck in that proverbial indie mindset, and I, you know some people are going to disagree with that. And again, that's not taking anything away from Dean Ambrose. I think he's a stellar talent, has the potential to deliver very very good matches. But I think that he's kind of trapped in the squ- in the bubble of the WWE style. And the thing is that unless he's out there with guys that have worked on the independents that are capable of doing. Uh, you know, really masking any of his weaknesses, he he looks sloppy out there. Um, think about it. You saw his match with Kevin Owens, one of the better brawls that we've seen in quite some time. I mean, Ambrose had really good matches with with you know Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins. There there were plenty of inc- instances where Ambrose delivered a really really good match. But the problem is that. Like Val just said, his matches have become one, two, three, paint by numbers. Um, to Mortis's point, Dean Ambrose versus Luke Harper was outstanding, and and again, that is a picture perfect um, example of somebody really utilizing Dean Ambrose's strengths. Look at Luke Harper, a guy who's who's you know fine tuned his craft on the independent circuit, uh, capable of being extremely technical, but also being capable of delivering a very very physical. Uh, you know, brawler style match. And I think that guys like him, Kevin Owens, uh, are capable of really working their magic with Dean Ambrose because, again, he is a guy that is capable of really, really good matches as long as the guys that he's working with are able to maximize his strengths. And that's a that's a problem going into, you know, some of the deeper water. Um, you know, Roman Reigns isn't going to make Dean Ambrose look good in a match. Neither is Brock Lesnar for that matter, but Dean Ambrose going out there playing the lunatic, getting his ass kicked and still getting up to fight another day or even fight later on that night 
it's different because it creates a character that the that the fans can get behind a guy who is a little crazy but is entertaining and even though and I've said this before there haven't necessarily been mat technicians or guys that are super over that should have been muted <laughs> Oh, that communique from uh, Jimbo Slice was apropos, and I will discuss that. Um, <laughs> well played. But um, as I said, you know, Ambrose comes in, looks the part, does the job, and definitely impresses, but only with the right opponents. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about, you know, Owens and Ziggler, uh, I think that we're definitely going to be seeing a Dolph Ziggler heel turn in our future. I think it is inevitable, um, definitely with what went down in, in regards to that match. Obviously, him uh, winning with his pe- with his feet on the ropes. Don't know if they're going to go for like the double turn, maybe turn Ziggler heel and Owens not face, but maybe a tweener. I'm I'm kind of seeing that slowly, but I definitely think that Dolph Ziggler needs to be a heel because honestly, as a face, they're not really doing shit with him. Really not. Um, Charlotte and Alicia Fox was paint by numbers bullshit and, um, the Miz, Jericho and AJ Styles were probably one of the higher points in terms of non-wrestling only because there's a great story there with Jericho and AJ Styles. Obviously those guys are capable of putting on great matches. Jericho, his conditioning is a is a little questionable, um, but in terms of at least building it up and doing something special, I think those guys definitely are capable of doing that, but again, we're looking at a guy like AJ who can pretty much mix it up with anyone, but who is going to be showcased accordingly by Chris Jericho, and definitely not The Miz, because that match with him and The Miz from SmackDown was god-awful, really was, anybody who thought that match was good is insane, um, Ryback came out looking extra Goldberg uh, to take on Bray Wyatt. That match was pretty much um, as paint-by-numbers as you could expect. Uh, in terms of Ryback's in-ring presence, I think that he he looked he looked good out there in terms of his wrestling, but obviously Bray Wyatt is a good worker and is able to carry Ryback to a pretty decent match. That's for damn sure. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and, and this was... Um, you know, I, I, I looked at it and I said to myself, the heel turn is incoming. And it was the ta- tag team tables match with the New Day and Mark Henry taking on the Usos and the Dudleys. Uh, first thing I got to say is as much as I love the New Day, I think that the act is starting to get a little played. And the reason I say that is because they're consistently utilizing all the over the top stuff to the point where it's becoming a distraction. Here's the thing. The New Day is good. They do a great job. But the problem is you're letting you're you're relying on them way too much to move things along. We don't need a 20 20 minute promo from them and a backstage segment. You know, let them go out there and do their jobs. They they can they can be comedic, they can do funny stuff when it's out there. But the problem is that they've they've gone to the well so much that it's 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 getting repetitive and it's funny because a buddy of mine said to me he goes you know 
I like the new day. I think all three guys are super talented, but the shtick is getting a little a little stale. And I thought about it. And I'm like, you know what? As entertaining as they were, it's definitely starting to get a little stale. But in any case, the inevitable finish, which I'm not even shocked about, was the Dudley's heel turn, putting the Usos through the tables, which we knew was coming. I think that it's a good way to add add a little a little bit of you know just just more heel heel tag teams to the overall scope of the roster. I mean, right now it's been the New Day versus everyone, and that's a bit of a problem because obviously nobody gives a shit about the Ascension. The Lucha Dragons are faces. The Usos are faces. We don't really know what the social outcasts are doing. And the Wyatts aren't exactly making a run at the tag team title. So you might as well start doing something with the Dudleys and taking advantage of, of the fact that they really work better as heels. As, as much as people love the Dudleys as faces, the Dudleys fucking suck. The Dudleys are terrible faces. They are without a doubt the best heels in the game especially because Bubba Ray Dudley is just an awesome villain. But the only thing is that so many people, you know, they want to cheer them. They want to see, they want to see people being put through tables. And I just, that's fine. You know, if it was 1998 or 2000, but we, we need a little bit more. And with the Dudleys, they, they, they just make shitty faces. They really do. They're not, they're not a good, they're not a good face tag team. And um, Val says, I want TNA bully Ray. And I agree but that's because TNA Bully Ray was exactly that. He was a phenomenal villain. You, everything about him was stellar, and we need to see that in WWE. Now, I'm not sure we're gonna we're gonna go fully Bully Ray with Devon, but I do think that at the end of the day, it, it it was something that had to be done for the tag team division because there really aren't any other heel tag teams besides the New Day, and I think that's one of the things that is hurting them. That's for sure. Now, I, I, you know, obviously the night closed out with Daniel Bryan's retirement, which was without a doubt an emotional night for everyone. Obviously, you know, Daniel Bryan uh, did a lot of medical tests on his own and he felt that he could come back and he ended up going and having some additional tests done, which indicated that he could not. Uh, he had, you know, some some serious, serious uh, injuries that were diagnosed in this latest round of tests. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of people were upset and as a fan, I can, I can totally understand because we're losing such a great performer that only started to hit his stride in WWE until recently. But on the same token, you got a guy who's trying to start a family, trying to live life. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's totally understandable. I know a lot of people are like, heartbroken and sad and I think that the outpouring of support was tremendous but um you know it's one of those things where you you know the you you can't ignore that I mean Edge tried to do that when Edge came back and he had that neck surgery uh you know he had the short-term fix he ended up coming back he lasted for I think a year or two after and he had to he was forced to retire too uh same thing happened with Christian you know a guy that suffered countless concussions you know wwe has to protect themselves and protect their performers and you know one i I mean the first opening sentences from daniel bryan were about hey when i was younger by the time i was you know x amount into by by the by the x time that i was into my career i had already suffered at three or four concussions 
And that's not, that's not the kind of stuff that we can take lightly anymore. You know, we're, we're, we're in a situation where, you know, we're looking at the Chris Benoit situation, the stuff that happened with the NFL players. And we're seeing that, you know, CTE and, and, you know, fallout from having concussions, especially, you know, so many severe ones is, is going to, is doing more harm to individuals down the road than just what happens at the beginning. And that's something that you just can't ignore, can't ignore that shit. And I think WWE had to cover their ass. And I think it was, you know, it was the right thing to do in terms of Daniel Bryan understanding that the writing was on the wall and that, you know, it was better to go out on his terms than go out as a fucking vegetable. That's, that's how I see it. Uh, for those of you that are curious about what happens next, who knows? I mean, Daniel Bryan may go knock up Brie Bella, Brie Bella may retire and that may be it. But I think that Daniel Bryan's future, in my opinion, should be to train the superstars of the future. I mean, he learned from William Regal and Shawn Michaels, two of, two of the best performers that ever did it. Um, Shawn Michaels, obviously, uh, WWE Hall of Famer. William Regal, a tremendous mat technician and, and a guy who's just had amazing career longevity going back to the WCW days as Lord Steven Regal to being the man's man in WWE etc etc you can't you can't ignore his contributions to the business and because of that i think daniel bryan has the potential to go down to nxt and train the superstars of tomorrow and impart wisdom grit and just really really good uh ring work and ring ethic uh that's that's pretty much where i stand i mean i'm sure he's gonna assess where the next steps are and what he's gonna do next but you know, he can be a good goodwill ambassador for the company. He can do a lot of amazing things. And um, I'm sure WWE is going to look out for him. Uh, Slick says Danny Bryan needs to go into the Hall of Fame before 2020. I wouldn't be shocked if that does happen only because that will allow him to get a Legends deal and continue to get money from the company. We'll see what happens. But um, I think Daniel Bryan is, is definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer. And, you know, his contributions in the ring will be missed. Now, I want to take the Daniel Bryan situation and segue into what happened with Titus O'Neil. As many of you know, WWE suspended Titus O'Neil, you know, due to unprofessional conduct for 90 days due to an incident with Vince McMahon. Now, what ended up happening was if you watched the the post raw, um, the extended version of, of Daniel Bryan's retirement ceremony on the WWE network. You saw that he had a curtain call with the entire roster. And as a result, you know, everyone came out, Vince was out there, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, as he came up, he went to hug Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon hugged him. And then Vince was walking back. Titus O'Neil reached over and grabbed Vince you know, in a kind of playful manner, albeit a bit physical, but playful, you know, like Titus O'Neil is a pretty easygoing, nice guy. And, um, you know, he, he went out there and he did that and Vince McMahon reacted not, not, he was not happy. Uh, Um, he ended up pushing Titus O'Neil and, um, that led obviously to Titus O'Neil being suspended for 90 days. Um, there's a couple of things. Many people feel that the suspension was unwarranted. 
and that Vince, who is a notorious prankster and is incredibly physical with his with his performers, overreacted. And I do agree. I think that, you know, he could have been disciplined. He could have been kept off TV for, for a month. And, you know, maybe he could have just gone out and done the job for a couple of months as punishment. And the reason I say this is because you're, the cameras are still rolling. And um, I think that the bigger issue was the fact that the cameras were still rolling and they were goofing around when it was an emotional moment. And I think with regards to that, I think Vince pretty much turned around and he was just like, yo, what the fuck? And he caught him in a, in a bad mood. Um, Mortis says, I think it, it just wasn't the time or place for Titus to do that, but his suspension was a bit much. A conference, a conversation with him could have sufficed in my opinion. I, um, I agree. I mean, you know, obviously it's easy to say that Vince, Vince hates blacks and, um, you know, that Vince is a racist. That's, that's the easy answer. Damn it. Don't touch me. <laughs> Cause you know, uh, shucking and jiving, but, um, I don't, I don't think that was the case. I think it was just, you know, emotions were running high. It was an incredibly emotional moment. And, um, you know, Titus O'Neil thought it was a, it was a good opportunity to kind of just, you know, joke around a bit. And again, I feel that it was, it was a, a little dramatic, but you know, you, you, and this, this goes down to, you know, employee, employee, employer relationships. You know, Vince McMahon is a jokester. He jokes around. He traveled with the boys. You know, he's he, he you know, he, he's one of those guys that he, he he's 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 a player coach. And the thing is with player coach that you risk sometimes, you know, the line becoming blurred. And I think that this was one of those instances where the line was blurred. The cameras were still rolling because everybody who I know that watched it on the network said that it happened. I mean, I was talking to, to Jimbo Slice uh, a little while ago and he messaged me and he goes, yeah, I saw something happened, you know, as the cameras, you know, as the cameras were kind of panning away, but I couldn't tell. And that was the thing. It's like, it was so quick that you had no idea, but you knew something was going on just because of Vince's body language and the way that he conducted himself. Again, the punishment definitely very, very severe for, for that infraction. Now, what a lot of people were saying is that this was done not so much as, you know, just punishment, but it was being done to set an example. Uh, Wrestling Observer was saying that Vince McMahon suspended O'Neal for 90 days because the message needed to be sent that WWE stars needed to stop messing around and be professionals. According to what Wrestling Observer published, he said um, there have been several people on the roster who have been walking a line in terms of following company rules and McMahon wants the WWE to be a professional organization. While O'Neal was just messing around with Vince, it was considered one time too many, and O'Neal became the fall guy for everyone else who has been going too far. And the problem is, and and I quote what they said, O'Neal is liked by WWE officials, particularly because he's their go-to guy for charity with John Cena on the shelf. The primetime players were broken up in order to help push O'Neal as a singles guy. And while it hadn't been acknowledged on television, he went undefeated for nearly three months before he lost to Adam Rose on Raw. Now, this is exactly it. You know, and and this is to to the point of the people in the chat. Slick says, had it been Roman or Cena or someone like that, they would not have been suspended. Val adds, Vince can be an asshole at times. 
But he also adds, but Titus chose a bad time to fuck around, especially when cameras are rolling. To add to that, Jimbo Slice says, then Vince shouldn't fuck with his employees. And that's exactly it. Here's the problem. You can't be chummy chummy with your employees and then all of a sudden, because you feel that we have to be professional, flip the switch at the at the drop of a hat. Just because I joke around with Slick and and our listeners and, you know, Jimbo Slice and a couple of other people doesn't mean that I'm going to go to my office and joke around with my boss the same way. And, um, you know, if I did, my boss either, you know, he'd feel uncomfortable or he'd pull me to the side and be like, look, dude, this this isn't the place for that. And, um, you know, that, that's it. It sends mixed signals. Obviously, you know, it's interesting also because, you know, an argument could be made that had it been one of Vince's favorite guys, meaning, you know, a John Cena or a, a Triple H or, or any of those guys, you know, any of Vince's, Vince's inner circle would, would the reaction have been the same? Now, obviously, the subject of race is always going to rear its head, and people are like, you know, had it been had it been a white superstar, would the punishment have been the same? And I'm I can't sit here and and make it about race because at the end of the day, I'm going to look at it as as being a professional, and this is it. You know, the cameras are rolling; it's a very emotional time. You can't do that shit. But on the flip side, Vince McMahon needs to not be one of the boys. Simple as that. You can't, you can't, you can't do that. You know, if you're a boss, you're a boss. You can't be a boss and be one of the boys and not expect the lines to be blurred. Especially when, you know, situations like this are, are, are possible at all times. And and that's, that's the thing, you know? And, and again, I look at it from both sides. If it were, if it were, you know, a situation where Vince McMahon never joked around like that and Titus O'Neil went into business for himself, then the suspension would be warranted because it's it's violating protocol. But Vince McMahon is notorious for doing that. And, and that's the problem. It's like uh, Jimbo Slice just said, Vince is a 70-year-old, 7-year-old. He can dish it out, but he can't take it. And that's exactly it. It's like, dude, you know, you're notorious for being a prankster, for joking around, for having amateur wrestling matches with your employees for for this and for that. And, you know, this guy, he felt a little too comfortable. It could have just been a situation where a conversation could have been had like, listen, Titus, you, you, you can't be doing that shit. You know, that that wasn't the time and place. And like I said, you want to suspend him for a week or two have him do a job to like El Torito or something on, on like raw. That's fine. But 90 day suspension is a little crazy, especially when your roster is fucking depleted. Let's think about it. Seth Rollins injured Cesaro injured John Cena injured Finn Balor injured Tyson kid injured page injured. You, you need every superstar you can at this moment for you to be saying, oh, you know, I'm gonna just going to suspend this guy for 90 days. You can't do that shit. Vince McMahon needs to realize you're 70 fucking years old and you are, you're the boss. And you can't be horsing around with the employees one minute and then expect them to be fucking serious the other. Because like I said before, the line becomes blurred. 
You know? It's like Titus O'Neil is a guy that is amazing when it comes to charity. He, you know, he's a guy that has stepped up in John Cena's absence. A guy that that has gone out there. He's a, a goodwill ambassador for the company. He fucked up. Did he need a 90-day suspension for it? Absolutely not. On the contrary, a, a stern talking to, maybe take him off TV for two weeks, that's it. But I've, you want to make an example? Well, you got to lead by example too. And that's how I see it. If you're going to suspend the guy for 90 days, then you can't be joking around and fucking around with the wrestlers either because that's not what you're there for. Simple as that. You know, it's 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 definitely fucked up. It, it, you know, Vince, it, it, Jimbo Slice says Vince is a bully boss. And that's exactly it. Vince is, you know, he's a guy that leads with an iron fist. But if if you pull out his bitch card, he doesn't like it. And it's just it's just not cool. You know, it, it's definitely not cool because you, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't because now you took a guy who is, you know, a pillar in the community, a nice guy, and you make him look like a jerk off. <laughs> you make the guy look like a jerk off and you and you guys look stupid, too, because the backlash has been incredibly negative. Everybody's saying it's like, yo, 90 days really for that. It's like Randy Randy Orton will smoke a joint in front of Vince and blow the smoke in his face and they'll write him off like he's injured because, you know, Randy Orton is one of the chosen ones. We've talked about that when when the whole thing with the marijuana happened and, you know, um, Evan Bourne snitched out Randy Orton. Randy Orton had to get suspended. Evan Bourne was injured and he ended up being released and R-Truth got suspended, too. Because he ended up send, saying something. And and that's what I'm saying. It's like you, you have to you have to be if you're gonna be the rod, you gotta be the rod the entire time. You can't be you can't be the rod for some superstars and, and the fucking bowl of whipped cream for the others. That's it's not the way. You you gotta be the same across the board. There there's no room for preferential treatment when you have a roster of, you know, hundred and fifty individuals. Can't do that shit. And you can't go around jer- jerking off and fucking playing around with the fucking with with your employees. Can't do it because motherfuckers get comfortable. You know, that's that's it. Listen, I'm friends with 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 a bunch of different individuals. We joke around. We say some crazy things. We 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 say some crazy stuff. But like anything else, we we respect each other's limits. And this is this goes across the board. You know, me and Slick joke around about shit all the time, but as friends, he knows his limits. I know mine. Don't, don't tread into that area. And you know, him and I, we work together. Prime example. But we still have that, you know, that relationship where we're, we're colleagues and that, that line doesn't get blurred because it doesn't. And you know, same, same should apply with anything else. Vince McMahon should lead by fucking example and not be, and not, you know, and not have a stick up his ass and suspend the guy for touching him when he's done, you know, dumb shit himself. That's all I'm saying. Sucks. I mean, you know, it sucks all around. Anyway, a couple of other wrestling news I want to get out of the way. Um, I'm sure many of you are excited to see Brie Bella and Charlotte square off at WWE Fastlane, which Obviously, no one gives a shit about. Um, reason this is being done is because this is a, essentially a placeholder feud for Charlotte uh, 
Um, the end game is obviously going to be a triple threat match between her, Becky Lynch, and Sasha Banks at uh, WrestleMania, which I knew that's where we were going, obviously, but it's something where you gotta, you, you know, you kind of see the writing on the wall and you're curious to see what's going to fill up that time until WrestleMania. And Brie Bella obviously is the filler in this situation for two reasons. Number one, they're going to, they're going to leverage the Daniel Bryan wave of momentum and carry it over to Brie Bella, who will go into this match playing the face. And then after it's all said and done, she will go on to WrestleMania and no one will give a shit. And that's, that's pretty much what it is. The end result is going to either be a triple threat with the three, with the three women of NXT or, or something to that effect. I mean, you know, Sasha Banks is riding an incredible wave of momentum. Everybody, everybody likes her. Um, Becky Lynch is an, an incredible performer. And, um, you know, the end result is going to be those three women's fates being intertwined all the way to WrestleMania. It's, um, you know, it, it, it Brie Bella's in, in a very unique situation and Mortis brought it up in the chat room. Uh, you know, N- Nikki Bella's dealing with what can possibly be a career ending injury and Daniel Bryan is retired. Brie Bella, I mean, don't get me wrong. She can go out there and wrestle and do what she's got to do. But I also feel that her heart isn't going to be in it because, you know, there's so many things that are amiss. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean that she doesn't deserve to, to wrestle. I just feel that this is going to be one of those instances where this is the mercy push just because, you know, similar, and I hate to say it, similar to what they did with Rey Mysterio when Eddie Guerrero passed away. You know, it's the push that you have to give because it makes the most sense. And, um, it's one of those things where it's a feel good moment for the crowd, but they're definitely not putting the belt on Brie Bella. It's just a shame that it's going to be a filler for what the real end result is going to be, which is Charlotte, uh, Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks probably meeting at WrestleMania in some capacity. That's all I'm saying. Another episode, another week, another wrestler passes away too soon. In this case, it is uh, former ECW performer Axel Rotten, um, also known as Brian Knighton. Uh, he competed in ECW from 1993 to 1999. Um, you know, one of those things he was, I believe, I want to say he was 44. Yeah, he was 44. Um, as of right now, the cause and circumstances of his death are not known. But, you know, the 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 casual, the casual you know, commentary is drug use, uh, particularly an overdose. Uh, we'll see if that's the case. Um, you know, I, I think that I'm sure we'll find out in the, in the next few weeks, but it's kind of, it's kind of hard to sweep that under the rug because people have said that he has had drug problems in the past. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, you know, I hate, I hate coming on air and talking about, uh, superstars that have passed away, especially when it comes to drug use or anything else. But, you know, it, it's, it's very hard to not assume that going in. Um, you know, he, he was an active performer. Uh, he left ECW in 99, worked in XPW and FMW in Japan. He was also part of uh, WWE's One Night Stand in 2005. Uh, he appeared in TNA during their ECW tribute show. 
and he retired after suffering a spinal injury. So, um, again, I'm sure within the next week or two, we'll find out what his cause of death was, but I hate having to report shit like that because again, another one gone, uh, a little too soon. Anyway, uh, switching gears a little bit. I want to talk about a couple of, uh, roster cuts that took place in NXT. Uh, Marcus Louis and Sylvester Lafort were cut loose. If you guys don't remember, uh, Marcus Louis was the guy that was shaved bald, uh, by Enzo and big Cass after their little feud with him and, uh, Sylvester Lafort Lafort. I hadn't seen on TV in months. I wasn't even sure he still had a job. Uh, but turns out he was released and also bull Dempsey is no longer with WWE. He ended up leaving NXT as well and is taking independent bookings. So, uh, three, three superstars out of NXT, obviously opening it up for, um, an influx of other independent talent, of course, including, uh, Nakamura, who is, I believe, uh, scheduled to be taking his WWE medicals this week. And of course is scheduled to report to NXT to take on Sami Zayn, uh, during the NXT show before WrestleMania. So, um, you know, it was, it was definitely, uh, you know, it was, it was unfortunate, but those guys weren't, they weren't really doing anything on NXT, uh, Bull Dempsey after signing Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe being, you know, this big badass guy, this big non-skinny badass guy, just, it just didn't work. It did not work. And, um, it was, it was inevitable that he would be cut loose or just be saddled with a shitty gimmick. And that's not to say that Bull Dempsey was a bad worker. On the contrary, he was he was pretty good. You know, he played, uh, you know, a little bit of that Taz style badass. But the problem was after they put him in the bullfit gimmick, and you know, it just nobody cared. Nobody gave a shit about the guy, which is unfortunate because I think that with the right gimmick, he would have done well. I just feel that you know his ring gear and what they were doing with him was just setting him up for failure. We'll see what happens. We never, you know, you never know if he if he ends up coming back to WWE in the future. But as of right now, Bull Dempsey is no longer in the WWE. On the TNA side of things, as many of you know, last week we were talking about the incident between Awesome Kong and Rebby Sky, uh, wife of Matt Hardy. Turns out that Awesome Kong was sent home from the European tour and we were awaiting the proverbial other shoe to drop. And sure enough... Awesome Kong was suspended. Uh, TNA put out a statement that said, uh, we conducted an investigation and determined that releasing Awesome Kong is the appropriate action in this case. Kong has been a great contributor to TNA and helped solidify the knockouts as the best female division in professional wrestling. We thank her and wish her well. Um, you know, here's, here's the thing. Um, Awesome Kong is a great performer. Will WWE try and bring her back to boost the NXT women's division? It's it's hard to say only because they're trying to create their own awesome Kong with Nia Jax. But stranger things have happened. I think that, uh, you know, her departure due to, you know, her pregnancy, miscarriage, and, and shortly thereafter depression was a huge factor in awesome Kong not being uh, ready for the WWE. I, I do think that she will get back to the WWE at some point only because she is a very, very solid talent. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where she, um, 
I, you know, it's not to say she was right or wrong, but you know, you put your hands on somebody else. It's, it's going to be a problem. Um, I, I think you are remembering incorrectly slick. The issue that she had was in TNA with Bubba, the love sponge. Uh, he made some racial commentary and she ended up whooping his ass. Uh, you know, not obviously not the first time that awesome Kong has put her hands on someone. Um, in WWE, she was fine. She ended up, um, like I said, she, it was revealed she was pregnant. Um, she ended up suffering a miscarriage, which messed her up emotionally, obviously. And, um, you know, she took some time off. She ended up going to shimmer, and a couple of other promotions, and then TNA brought her back, and then, obviously, um, you know, she ended up getting into the altercation with Rebby Sky, and here we are. Now, like I said, NXT is doing fairly well with their women's division, and I think they're grooming Nia Jax as their awesome Kong, but you never know, man. I mean, the, we're, we're talking about NXT that now has uh, Austin Aries, that now has Samoa Joe, that has had... Um, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, um, you know, there, there's a who's who of independent guys and that have made their way to the company already that we never would have imagined would be in the company. I mean, AJ Styles proved positive of that, but who knows? I think that if WWE were to bring her in, they wouldn't want to do it right away only because, you know, the, the, the whole altercation and all that and all the baggage associated with that is still very, very recent. Now, that's not to say that she does not have a home in the WWE in the future, but I believe that right now um, they're probably going to let her just work out her issues, maybe do some independent stuff, and you never know. They may scoop her up. Uh, Slick says uh, Nia Jax is attractive. I get that she wants to be a big girl, but if she toned down, she could be the biggest girl on the block and whoop ass. She just looks clumsy in the ring. And yeah, I agree. I think Nia Jax, I think one of the reasons that Nia Jax, um, you know, I, I hate the ring gear that they have for Nia Jax. The stuff that they put her in makes her look like a Fabergé egg with a face. Fucking, it, it trips me out. She comes out, I'm like, yo, she looks like one of those really pretty eggs that you get from a mail-order catalog. I'm like, yo, come on, man. Why you gotta dress her like that? And then they put, like, like that weird girdle shit over her ring gear, and it just looks terrible. But in terms of her ring work and her work ethic, I think she definitely has the tools. Um, you know, like Mortis just said, she's still working through it. She's a quick learner and willing to listen. And I agree 100%. I think Nia Jax has all the tools. I just feel that they don't know they don't know how to they don't know how to package her correctly. Like see with Awesome Kong, she already had her own ring gear. She went out there and she did what she had to do. They just don't they don't with with Nia Jax, you're take You know what the problem is? And 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 it, it's going to sound really crass the way I say it, but WWE is used to marketing skinny and cute and blonde. They don't know how to how to leverage you know girls that are different. You know, you had Beth Phoenix who was incredibly strong, incredibly powerful, and they couldn't figure out how to make her a dominant force without saddling her with some shitty gimmick. Um, you know, even even Dana Brooke. You look at Dana Brooke. Dana Brooke is probably one of the few that has actually been utilized correctly, but the only problem is that her ring work is fucking god-awful. In the case of Nia Jax, she she has the look, very pretty girl, um, she's learning very quickly, but they just don't know how to how to present it. They don't know how to present that, which is unfortunate. And this this is what I was talking about a couple of weeks back, where I said that, you know, NXT having male and female trainers is good, 
but you also have to have, you know, male and female creative, et cetera, et cetera, because that'll allow you, um, that will allow you to really, you know, be able to, to view your superstars the way they're meant to be viewed. You know, it's like having Sarah Del Rey down there working with the, with the divas is important because Sarah Del Rey knows the limitations of, of the female performers. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Don't get me wrong. A male, a male trainer, a male coach can see those strengths and weaknesses, but there may be certain things that are going to go under the radar, you know? And, and Mortis just said, if it wasn't for AJ, Caitlin would have had the same issue. And that's a hundred percent right. When you're, when you're a, a you know, a, a, an, an athlete like a Beth Phoenix or a Caitlin, or even going back in the time machine, like China, uh, you know, that, that is strong, really powerful looking, and you're getting into a match with what's essentially a Barbie doll, you know that at first glance, the really jacked chick should whoop the Barbie doll's ass, unless she's, you know, a mixed martial artist or whatever, but that's what happens, that you're presenting it in a way that it doesn't look right. Like, when Awesome Kong comes out there, you know that that Brie Bella should be getting her ass kicked. The only way Brie Bella should win is due to interference or... Or, you know, something crazy. And this goes back to what they did with Bailey and Nia Jax, which Slick and, and Mortis were talking about in the chat room. The Nia Jax was defeated by Bailey and they did it intelligently because they had her utilize something unique, something different that she couldn't do to other women. Obviously, Bailey wasn't doing the belly to belly finisher on Nia Jax. So she had to utilize something different, something that she hadn't done before. And this is what I'm talking about. This is the type of stuff you have to look at. You got to think outside of the box. And when you're taking uh, performers like Nia Jax, uh, Beth Phoenix, and you're you're packaging them and you're trying to put them on, on television, you're not looking at the ways that they can not only win matches, but lose matches. You know, like Mortis said, they did a good job with China when she was feuding with Jericho and Eddie Guerrero. And that's exactly it, you know, because they were doing that. Even if you look at Lucha Underground, I mean, Mil Muertes had a match against Ivelisse during the first episode, which you wouldn't have imagined in a million years that you have a female performer challenging for the flagship title in an organization and not only challenging for it, but looking rather competitive in that match. And that's the kind of stuff that you need. That's the kind of stuff you have to do. You can't look at gender as a limitation when you're trying to book these performers. The same way that you can't look at size as a as a limiting factor. You know, and and this is the kind of stuff that it's going to take some time, but we're going to we're going to have to work our way through it. Creative is going to have to learn to harness those 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 items and utilize them correctly. Nia Jax is a, is a, you know, a bigger performer. You know, don't send her out there dressed like a fuck like a fucking Fabergé egg. Like you know, send her out there like a badass. You know, send her out there to do what she's got to do. I'm not saying you got to dress her up like fucking Rikishi either, but you know, look at look at the character as a whole. You know, look at her as a whole and 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 realize that there's more that can be done with the character besides you know going out there and being super dominant. You have to write not only for the characters to be winners but for the characters to be losers as well. Mortis adds, I'm still hoping for Sexy Star to become Lucha Underground Champion in the future. 
dude, I'm with that. I think Sexy Star is an incredible performer. She has an amazing look. Her work ethic is out of control. And she looks good in every match that she does. I mean, her match with uh, Pentagon Jr. during the first season of Lucha Underground was tremendous, man. Great storytelling. uh, Great physicality. She definitely knows how to sell. And that's what I'm saying. There's so many things you can do. But again, you're you're looking at gender. Don't look at gender and look at marketability. That's it. Anyway, a couple of other news stories to wrap things up. Um, it looks like Braun Strowman is being groomed for a bigger push. Uh, they're saying that because they're saying that what we're seeing from Braun Strowman and on television is not his full potential. Um, sources are claiming that Braun Strowman is incredibly improved. And is better than we are believed to see, you know, than, than we are being led to believe. According to what the, what Wrestling Observer was saying, they said that Vince McMahon sees Braun Strowman as one of his projects. Everything related to Braun Strowman comes directly from Vince McMahon. From the way he wrestles, to the way he picks up his opponents, to the way he takes his bumps, to the way he gets dressed, uh, the way they dress him. All of it is a Vince McMahon pet project. And um, a lot of people are saying, and you know, PW Insider was saying that, you know, he's he's actually better than he we're being than we're allowed to see, only because Vince McMahon is direct is directly involved in how Braun Strowman is presented. Again, this is being reported by PW Insider. A couple of other websites have elaborated on this story. Here's here's where I stand with with Braun Strowman. In an era where guys like Kane, The Big Show, and Mark Henry are on their way out, because they are, you need to start building that next big phenom, that next big monster. And the only guys that you have that are capable of that are Brock Lesnar, which you're already doing, and you have to have a guy that can be built as a monster that for when Brock Lesnar isn't around. And I think Braun Strowman fits the bill but the problem is that you have him going out there with his two moves of doom looking super, super green. People are just going to presume that he sucks. And that's the problem. I think that you have to start creating, you know, that next phenom, that next monster. Because the Big Show, I wouldn't be shocked if the Big Show retires within the next five years. The same with Kane. Mark Henry, we know, is 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 probably retiring this year. And this is what I'm saying. You're looking at these individuals that have been booked as monsters and the issue with that is that when they're gone you don't have anything else you know mortis says it kind of looked like big show and kane passed that big man torch over to Strowman when Strowman eliminated kane and show from the rumble i agree with that i think that that was definitely something uh, you know uh, a kind of passing of the torch and that's what i mean you kind you still need there's still a place for that big man you know the 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 giant the monster the goon so to speak and um like jimbo jimbo slice says vince will give a chance to anyone who looks menacing i i agree 100% because that's what vince vince is still a big fan of the big carny monster i mean we're 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 talking about a guy who had giant gonzalez you know as 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 a marketable character and you know giant gonzalez was the fucking worst think about it let's let let's let's take a trip down memory lane you had big let, let's talk about big wrestlers uh you had the big boss man uh earthquake typhoon uh the one man gang who later became akeem 
uh, the African Dream. You had Big John Stud, Andre the Giant, uh, Psycho Sid, um, you know, The Undertaker, Kane. Uh, they, you know, when you look at all those big performers, you notice that a lot of them were pretty, you know, you could kind of interchange them. There were very, very few big guys that were incredible workers. Like every big guy had something, had something about them that worked, you know, maybe it was the look, maybe it was the gimmick, but you know, they, they didn't get the job done in the ring. I mean, the great Kali is a great example. The great Kali was a fucking disaster. I mean, this is a guy who you actually put the title on which is insane. The only quote unquote big guy that came out of that entire crop that was decent was the undertaker. And I'm sorry to say, but when you strip away the gimmick, the undertaker's wrestling was always very, very basic. You know, the under, again, that's not to say that the undertaker is, is, is terrible, but you, you take away the theatricality, you know, the rest in peace, all the streak. He's just a, you know, a pretty, a pretty decent big guy. And that's what it is. And, and and Vince McMahon, he's still a fan of that. And while that is good, you know, it's cool to have the big monster, uh, the big monster performer. The 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 guys that are coming out that are going to fill that role are very few. I mean, you could probably take, you know, Baron Corbin and book him that way. Um, you know, if, if he were to come up to the main roster, even if he looks like fucking Krang, um... You know, Baron Corbin is a guy that you could book that way only because he's a guy that's capable of, you know, he looks the part and, and you know, he's, he's one of the few big guys that they have. I mean, even that, uh, that shitty guy that won tough enough, you know, Josh, the guy that fucking got himself into, into the doghouse, he's a big guy. So, you know, Vince McMahon is going to keep an eye on that guy because again, you're going to need those big guys to fill, uh, that vacancy. You know, and, and that's not to say that they're, that they're necessarily got to be good, but you're going to need that. Like Jimbo Slice said, Vince will give a chance to anyone who looks menacing. And that's what it is. If you're, if you're over six feet and you're a scary looking dude, you, you may, you may not have an athletic bone in your body, but Vince McMahon may be like, bring that guy in for a tryout. He's a big son of a bitch. You know, like that's, that's what he'll do. And, and I mean, with Braun Strowman, everybody's saying that you got to give him a chance and see how he fares. I, I, I really haven't seen enough of Braun Strowman in the ring to say that he's a complete bag of shit, but the little that we have seen hasn't exactly impressed either. So, um, you know, they they need the attraction. They need a circus freak. You know, Jimbo Slice is right. Um, and like Slick just said, he needs to have singles matches. The problem is, you know... You're you're putting him out there in tag team matches and whatever. You're gonna get something decent, but you're not gonna get anything good because again, you're you're hiding a lot of those flaws. Um, we're 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 in a very interesting time. We're in a transitional period. Like I said, Big Show, Mark Henry, Kane, those guys' careers are pretty much you know on on, on the way out. You know, career wise and. Because of that, you're going to have to start creating these new these new big guys, these new monsters. And, I mean, Braun Strowman seems to be the only one. Like I said, aside from him, maybe Baron Corbin. You know, that's, that's, that's what you got to do. Slick says, do what you did with Ryback. Handicap matches. Fucking feed him more. It's true. I mean, that's what you got to do. You got to have the squash matches to make this guy look believable. 
Um, unfortunately, you know, the squash matches and shit like that are used for the wrong performers. I mean, y- you definitely got to build them up, but you're, you're looking, think about it. Luke Harper and Eric Rowan are both big dudes out of the, out of the, that entire trio. Luke Harper probably has the best ring work and the, and the coolest look to look like a monster in the future. If anybody should be booked that way as the monster, it should be Luke Harper because he can wrestle his ass off and he can cut a pretty decent promo. He can. But unfortunately, it seems, you know, to go back with what, you know, Jimbo Slice and what you guys said in the chat is that, you know, the Braun Strowman is the freak show. You know, he's he's the he's the he's Vince's pet project. We'll see what happens in the coming weeks. We'll see if Braun Strowman meets The Undertaker like so many people are speculating or if he will end up having a match with Brock Lesnar, which is another rumor that has been floating around. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, you know, um, Slick, Bray Wyatt was actually supposed to start a program with Brock Lesnar, but um, Blackjack Mulligan, who's his grandfather, was hospitalized. That's why him and Bo Dallas weren't on TV last week. But um, the the end game is that Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family are going to start messing with Brock. I have a feeling that they're probably going to cost Brock the match at Fastlane. And it'll lead to Roman Reigns probably getting the pinfall on Dean Ambrose. And then Roman goes on to Mania. So, um, you know, that that's, that's me looking in the crystal ball. We'll see if that's right. But all signs point to the Wyatt family having a collision course with the Beast. We'll see what happens. Um... I'm sure, you know, it was shared in the, in the group chat and I mean, in the, uh, in the Rageworks group page about, uh, Finn Balor being injured. Uh, it turns out that he sprained his ankle during an NXT house show and is being held off TV as a precaution. Um, definitely not what the WWE needs right now. As I said before, hopefully it's just a sprain and, um, you know, he can be back in, in the ring sooner rather than later. Um, you know, it's, it, the injury bug is running rampant, uh, through the WWE right now. And that's something that you got to be careful guys like Finn Balor, who, you know, are, are the face of NXT right now. You can't afford for those guys to get hurt. But, um, uh, as of right now, it looks like it's just a sprain and, you know, they're keeping him, they're keeping him off of, uh, you know, off out of the ring for the time being so that his ankle can heal up. We'll see what happens in the coming weeks. Hopefully he'll, you know, it's just a slight sprain and he'll be back in there. But the WWE roster is definitely the walking wounded right now. And um, they really can't afford any other injuries. Anyway, that is going to wrap up the wrestling segment for this week. And with that, it's also going to wrap up the show as well. I've given you my take on MMA and professional wrestling. I would love to hear yours. Hit us up on social media, on Twitter, at Rage underscore Works. Um, you can also find us at My Take Radio on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks. We are also on Pinterest, Google+, Snapchat, just put in RageWorks, and on Instagram as well. It is no longer RageWorks underscore Rich. It is officially RageWorks now that... um. Instagram allowed multiple accounts. I'm probably going to start separating a lot of my normal updates from the Rageworks updates and start putting them in my own uh, personal Instagram. We'll see what happens once I figure out how I'm going to manage it, but that's where we're going. In any case, you know, you can find us there. We have boards on Pinterest, 
uh, Google Plus we're active in, uh, but we're definitely trying to build Snapchat and also trying to build our Facebook and Twitter followings. So by all means, feel free to hit us up that way. If you have any questions, concerns, would like to advertise on an episode of MTR or would like to be a guest, you can email me mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net. Uh, archived episodes of this and all the other shows are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Uh, this show will be available within 24 to 48 hours of its live broadcast. Um, video will be available on our two YouTube channels, My Take Radio TV and Official Rageworks. It's also going to be available in audio format on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. But you can get the best experience via the official My Take Radio app. It is $1.99 available for Android, iOS, and Windows mobile devices. For Android, you'll find it in the Amazon Android Marketplace for Windows, obviously, in the Microsoft Store. And iOS, you can find it on iTunes. You're also going to be able to uh, access some of our other original content and get access to some of our shows before they go live to the general public. So be on the lookout for that. Also, Slick is... Uh, Correction, Mortis is going to be streaming Dragon Age Origins uh, starting around midnight. Uh, if you want to link up with one of our fellow listeners, check them out. Uh, Slick is also going to be doing a contest, which we're going to get the details finalized, and I will announce it during the gaming edition of MTR tomorrow night at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. All right, guys, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to tonight's show. And uh, that's it. I will see you guys for the gaming and entertainment edition of MTR uh, tonight at, well, now that it's officially Thursday um, at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, right here on MTRlive.com, RageWorks.net. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Thanks for listening. Peace. Rich, bitch. Everything, everything, that's all, folks.